millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and today I'm going to be talking a little bit about the origins of Mao's Cultural Revolution uh, that begins in 1966 and uh, concludes with his death uh, 10 years later. And I think looking at the whole Cultural Revolution is such a vast topic that really it's difficult to shoehorn that one into 20 minutes. So it's something I'll return to over the next few months and um, examine it, you know, break it down and examine it in its constituent parts. But looking at where it comes from, I think, is really important because it's such um, an extraordinary, and I use that term um, advisedly, such an extraordinary phenomena this origins bear some kind of interrogation. Um, one contempt, one sort of dominant way of understanding the Cultural Revolution is that it was Mao's um, bid for power um, following his marginalisation from the Communist Party, um, uh, for, from positions of power within uh, the Communist Party uh, during the early 1960s. From... 1958 through to 1962, Mao had embarked on the uh, greatest economic debacle, uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps in certainly in the history of China, perhaps in world history, given its uh, size and scope uh, of the the Great Leap Forward. Um, Mao had enforced collectivization on the Chinese peasantry. Uh, with immense brutality and violence. Uh, there's a podcast I did a few months ago, in point of fact, on uh, the uh, relationship between Mao and the Chinese peasants. Um, he had uh, imposed centralised um, quotas for uh, the uh, production, not just of agricultural produce, but also of um, commodities such as uh, iron and steel. 
and the result had been an absolute disaster. Um, don't really want to go too far into looking at the Great Leap Forward at the moment, because again, this is another separate topic of enormous uh, magnitude. But as I've mentioned before, uh, Frank Dakota's book uh, on Mao's Great Famine is um, a, an excellent work on this subject and, and well worth reading. The um, the point, obviously, I'm coming to next is that the Great Leap Forward it results in this uh, catastrophic famine. Conservative, uh, very low um, estimates for the numbers who died in the famine of the late 50s and early 60s are something like 18 million. Um, mid, mid to upper range estimates would be 45 million. Um, some academics, um, and this is the uh, scholarship is um, mentioned in Dakota's book, uh, some academics have put it up at anything up to 70 million uh, and some higher still. Though the thing is with famines um, that uh, you get this vast uh, range of variables. I think the majority of opinion seems to fall between the 35 to 45 million uh, range, uh, thus making it, you know, I think, perhaps the most catastrophic uh, mass killing event of the 20th century. Um, readers write in if you know of a bigger one. Um, I'm racking my brains at the moment, but I think that that's, uh, that's probably... The, uh, the greatest human catastrophe of the 20th century. And it's up against some stiff composition, as we know. So, Mao between um, 62 and 64 is uh, sidelined within the party. Um, the, there is far more permissible criticism of Mao Zedong's thought at this point than had previously been... Um, uh, being, being possible, uh, and it takes something like the famine and the disaster of the Great Leap Forward, where um, between fifty-eight and sixty-two are the the only years in Chinese history in the twentieth century where the economy actually um, goes into full retreat, actually begins to rapidly shrink. Um, these these kind of catastrophes um, lead really to Mao's position coming under some serious um, serious scrutiny. Uh, Mao himself, there, there's another way of looking at the um, Cultural Revolution. Now, obviously, Mao um, from 1966 onwards um, seeks to use the Cultural Revolution to undo this kind of reversal in his political fortunes. But Mao also had um, another motivation. And a lot of it's to do with the Sino-Soviet split, of which I have spoken recently. Um, if you can go back a few podcasts, there's one I've done on East Germany's position within the Sino-Soviet uh, split. Mao had worried for a long time that the um, death of Stalin and the subsequent, uh, what he viewed as revisionism by Khrushchev, um, was essentially Soviet communism going soft. That what you would have next in the Soviet Union is a gradual resumption of capitalism and then a uh, an undoing of communism the world over. And Mao um, was obviously interested in his own position, and he thought, well, if we have revisionism there, we'll get it here. And uh, indeed. 
um, I it's possible for me to make the case that it has begun here already. Mao, one part of Mao's rhetoric at the start of the Cultural Revolution um, that makes the Cultural Revo- Revolution distinct from the other periods of mass terror in communist China is that he says well, n- na- we, we knew there were counter-revolutionaries when we seized power we knew there were all the, the bourgeoisie that needed dealing with but what we didn't know was that they were in the party and um, now it has come to light that the, uh, the communist party of China itself has got these counter-revolutionary elements in it and so what we need is a renewal a new level of ideological purity, renewed struggle to constantly be cleansing these um, dangerous elements out. There's um, a story, perhaps apocryphal, but one I heard anyway, so I'll tell you now, of um, Khrushchev's visit to China, which um, ended rather acrimoniously. And as uh, he visits China uh, during the famine, and Mao and Khrushchev are driving down a road in part of provincial China, rural China, and there are people at the roadside selling their wares, selling whatever possessions they have for a small bowl of rice in order to to eat again that day and not die. And Mao points to the peasants and says to Khrushchev, you see, here's the problem. This is capitalism spontaneously self-emerging, you know, spontaneously self-forming. Wherever you go, you've got to stamp it out. And his view was that if people are selling their belongings, they are trying to profit and they are capitalists and, you know, that capitalism itself is kind of like weeds that spring from the ground. And only after many, many years of applying the right ideological weed killer um, can you ensure that it's gone. Again, this could be an apocryphal story, so don't quote me on it. But the point being that um, from the, the Maoist worldview... That revolution is meant to be perpetual struggle, that you can't have a period of um, um, consolidation, a period of relaxation, a period where things go back to normal until capitalism is defeated worldwide. And the um, fact that uh, the uh, USSR was engaging in a relaxation of tensions from the mid-60s onwards with the USA following the Cuban Missile Crisis, and that uh, from the, even in the late 1950s, people like um, Eisenhower, a presence such as Eisenhower and Vice President Nixon, had been meeting with Khrushchev and there had been some attempt at engagement. This, too, uh, in Mao's view, was the, you know, the worst kind of revisionism. So the Cultural Revolution can be explained as well as an attempt by Mao to prevent any kind of what he called revisionist or rightist um, thinking um, and a, an attempt by Mao to once again position China as the real leader of the communist world and Mao's view of how to take the fight to capitalism was to use third world revolution really to do it, that the workers were no longer the vanguard of revolution, but the peasants of the, the global south, uh, you know, Africa, Asia and South America, that this is the place that really revolution would, would occur. Mao calls a July 1966 extraordinary meeting of the Chinese um, communist 
Politburo in Beijing, um, a very fateful uh, meeting in which he denounces certain uh, party members who he believes are threats to him, who he believes don't have the kind of the, the right kind of revolutionary credentials to um, uh, the, to support him, and who he believes have kind of aspects of counter-revolutionary thinking in, in, in their characters. And it's here that he says that, um, you know, the, the party itself must be kind of reformed, must be um, criticised, must, uh, must self-criticise. But before this, he had already been at work. He had used um, newspaper articles. He'd gone quiet for quite, quite some time. And then he begins to be published again um, in various revolutionary newspapers and journals um, and begins to criticise his opponents, particularly within Beijing, within the, the local party in Beijing. Um, and he uses his own personal contacts who are still loyal to him, even though he is now a marginalised figure. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Another figures like Liu Xiaoqi, and Deng Xiaoping and Zhu Enlai are far more prominent. These are really Mao's kind of lieutenants during the first period from 1949 to about 58. Um, they are far more prominent. So he's working in the background before he kind of publicly, publicly kind of re-emerges as a significant figure. And it's at this um, July meeting that one of the more significant trends of the um, Cultural Revolution begins uh, in that Mao gives the nod to um, university academics and um, other kind of uh, intellectual figures to be denounced and um, attacked. Uh, the, the kind of the mass violence of the Cultural Revolution is yet really to begin at this point. But it sets a kind of an ominous um, uh, uh, precedent for the future. Mao had already, during the um, Hundred Flowers campaign, of which I'm sure I've done something in the past, check out the the podcast um, probably in the last six months or so. I'm pretty sure there's something out there. Um, During the the Hundred Flowers campaign, he'd already um, uh, encouraged the uh, a flowering of academic dissent only to crush it 
fairly swiftly afterwards. Some argue that during the Hundred Flowers campaign this was just naked cynicism to draw his enemies out, but I, I genuinely think it was, um, uh, it was it was something sincere in what, what Mao was doing and had second thoughts about it fairly shortly afterwards. The Communist Party wasn't going to simply roll over and let Mao reassert his ideology. There were um, a radical and more pragmatic strands of thought within the Communist Party, and uh, by uh, in July 1966, Mao wasn't fully in control again. Um, there seemed to be plenty of party members who had long and bitter memories of the Great Leap Forward and of the famine, who didn't want further upheaval. And so Mao decides that he's going to sidestep the party now. The party to him are actually this kind of uh, encumbrance to his power. They're not the base of his power anymore. He sees his power as actually being with, you know, for want of a better word, the people. And particularly the with grassroots activists, the Red Guards, who are made up of you know radical party activists and students and um, workers, um, and he believed that the Red Guards could be used actually to attack the party it, itself. Um, Mao, Maoists quickly take over the party apparatus. And so you could say that the Communist Party ceases to be a Communist Party in 1966 and actually becomes a Maoist Party, um, which, you know, there are, you, you might say these are roughly the same thing, but um, there, is a kind, there is a kind of significant uh, difference, really, between the conventional and slightly more Soviet communism um, that was being uh, on, in practiced um, Soviet communism, you might say, with Chinese characteristics, and the kind of grassroots Maoism that was emerging in the 1960s. So there's something like about 15 million Red Guards across China, and um, Mao takes the decision really to kind of leave them off the leash. Um, the uh, newly controlled Communist Party in August 1966 gives Mao the, um, the votes really to um, endorse the, the, the program of the Cultural Revolution. There's a 16-point program that is uh, announced. Um, this means that the, um, that the 15 million or so Red Guards across China are made the, uh, the official body to enforce the Cultural Revolution. Um, the peasants, workers and uh, soldiers and the, the rank and file of China are encouraged really to turn on figures of authority, not just within the party, but within society itself. So um, academics, engineers, specialists, managers, doctors, teachers, anyone that really has any authority at all suddenly comes under attack from um, local village committees, uh, from revolutionary groups of workers. Um, and this is kind of what Mao is prepared to do, really, to shore up his power. He views, he's reached perhaps a point of suspicion and paranoia akin to Stalin, where he looks at all institutions within Chinese society and sees these as potential, potential threats. Um, the... Um, limits to what the Red Guards were meant to and not meant to do, uh, Mao says really he's not particularly interested in those limits. Um, and that there, ideally um, he wants to leave it to 
the judgment of the people the uh, and and this is on the face of things some kind of piece of revolutionary honesty perhaps but in reality um it leads to um a total radicalization of the cultural revolution um there are no parameters nowhere that in theory um the uh, red guards and the uh, revolutionary committees can't go um the um part of the um cultural revolution i think perhaps more people know is the what's referred to as the destruction of the four olds um so the um the four olds is the uh, the old customs the old culture the old habits and old ideas of china so this was um kind of not so much an attack on the communist party but an attack on anything that predated 1949 um which obviously that the mao had tried to attack uh, in the previous five years uh, previous um decades up until um between 1949 and 1966 anyway but this was a kind of a reinvigoration of this kind of um iconoclasm this this um um uh, sort of tabula rasa approach to um to china to um wipe out anything from from the past at all there was an element in russia where of of um a similar kind of culture particularly during the civil war and nep period where there was this idea that um the october revolution had been you know an end of history and a beginning of the kind of the only really authentic and valid period in human history anyway um and therefore it was entirely right to tear down churches and smash icons and that kind of thing libraries across um china and university departments are burned down um generations of um confucian and buddhist writing and uh, really the cultural history of china is chucked on the bonfire um the uh, temples and shrines buddhist temples confucian temples shrines and uh, churches because there's quite a uh, a widespread um in embracing of christianity in china uh these are all uh, uh smashed and wrecked and there is um a widespread culture of um arresting anyone um considered to have counter revolutionary thought people who have been in positions of power uh people who well really anyone that uh, can potentially come under suspicion but particularly figures of authority uh, university professors um teachers uh, that sort of thing are are attacked um many publicly humiliated there's widespread torture and mass killing um and long um self-criticism sessions where um you know the individual is forced with a placard around their neck to sit in the town square and confess their sins for three or four days uh, in a row at which point they're probably quite happy to be shipped off to a labor camp um the red guards began to believe uh, individual groups of red guards but they began to believe that they had a monopoly on revolutionary purity and that um the, their fellow red guards who uh, perhaps sometimes would be in the same town as them uh were right deviationists and uh, needed to be denounced and attacked so the red guards began to fight amongst one another 
And up until 1968, the Red Guards had been given control of the army. And it's in 1968 um, that the army is wrested back from the Red Guards that really there's some possibility of some kind of um, end to the Cultural Revolution in sight. But obviously, this doesn't occur for further eight years. Um, I mean, between 73 and 76, it's, it's petering out. Uh, but really, there is a, a, a full stop um, on it um, following the uh, the death of Mao in 1976. Right. So there's probably a whole bunch of other stuff that I haven't mentioned here. Things like you know, uh, Jiang Qing, Madame Mao, and the Gang of Four, and all that kind of thing. And like I said, I probably don't want to go down that route just yet. Uh, there's time for that later on. But looking at the the origins, I think of the Cultural Revolution are, are really important. And it's important not to go down this um, sim- simplified route. I suppose I've done a bit of it today, but you know we've only got 25 minutes of coming up with origins and saying, right, well, it originated from this thing. Mass phenomena um, have... Uh, mass phenomena, you know, the Cultural Revolution, the Holocaust, you name it. Um, these things have many roots, many origins. And so if you're writing essays or... Um, writing some kind of piece of academic work, um, you need to just just bear that in mind. Just keep that kind of looseness of of your of sort of frame of reference uh, there, and you know, that's what I do anyway. Okay, so um, we've got some interesting stuff coming out. Um, the, um, exp- the latest explaining history title, International Relations from 1870 to 1914, is available. You can check that out on the website. I'll be posting it up today. Um, and it's a new student guide. Um, there are new student guides on uh, Britain 1851 to 1914, due in the next couple of months, and Britain at the Paris, well, not Britain, but the Allied Powers at the Paris Peace Conference. So we're really focusing on making sure that students get everything they need at the moment, um, within reason, you know, and really bringing out those great student guides so that you guys, as the new term approaches, have everything you need to make a real success of that. Anyway, thanks very much. I'll catch you on the next podcast. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.